0: Quick word: These all of my podcasts now are have been updated, so uh, you're gonna hear me bitch on all my earlier shows how I couldn't get my own music on my own show, and I now have gotten that. So you will hear me bitch about that in the monologue, but you will hear music on all the podcasts, all the ones that uh, have a guest. I've put their music on the podcast so it was probably probably the first 15 shows or so have all been updated now just a word from me hello welcome to southern man in a western town and i don't know what episode this is i got all screwed up on that i think i skipped from three to eight we're just gonna call this episode 11 and then there will be like and then future there'll be like five episodes that are lost and no one will ever be able to find them when they're looking for them when this when i become uh hugely famous anyway well, this is the show we talk about music wrestling trucking whatever the hell you want to talk about that's what i talk about that's what i do Have you ever thought about being a trucker Tell you how my day went so far. So I get up at 3:30 in the morning. Went. I tried to go to sleep around eight, but I woke up and messed around a little. And uh, I probably got about six hours sleep, maybe, maybe five. So I get up at 3:30 in the morning. Drive about five hours from my house in the snow. It's about an inch of snow when I got up, and then it's dumping when I head in. Drive about five miles from my house, get in my tractor, bobtail it over to Hershey's. Bobtailin's when you uh, drive a tractor without the trailer on it. Truckers know that, but it's called bobtailing. I have no idea why it's called that. Um, so then you, anyway, take that, uh, take the tractor to Hershey, you know, the candy place, which is pretty much right behind where I parked my tractor, so it's pretty convenient, but it's still snowing like hell. And I've never been to Hershey before, so it's a big process. Today I was having to pick up a refrigerator unit a trailer from a company called Knight that's loaded down with Hershey bars and other candy and shit from Hershey, and take down to Salt Lake, which is about an hour drive, maybe a little more in the snow. A couple of wrecks on the way and all that good stuff. So, to get to Hershey and have to, that's the whole process, you have to check in at the booth and the people think you're an idiot because you've never been there, you don't know what you, the whole situation is yet and all that. Um, so, anyway, now I'm down in Salt Lake at a place called Cormark where I'm delivering this candy bars to. cool thing about Hershey is when I checked out of there, they gave me candy bars, which that's cool, but I guess they got a shitload of them. Um, sitting here waiting to get loaded it's dark snowing watching this jackass cross from me try to smash into his king pin on his truck what that is is that's the pin that's on the trailer where you uh, actually connect the tractor to the trailer he is too stupid or too lazy to get out and realize it is uh, the trailer's too high off the ground so that's what you call a high hook you can't can't actually hook it because it's too high so you have to get out and lower the trailer down which He's too fat and lazy, and he probably don't want to get out. He's just smashing into it over and over. So, anyway, I'm backed into a door, trying to get unloaded, and dark, snowing, kind of. Couple of wrecks on the way down, like I said. So, if you ever think about being a trucker, you got to deal with a lot of bullshit. It ain't just getting in the truck and driving down the street. If it was, that would be simple. After I leave here, I'm gonna take this empty trailer back to Hershey. Drop it, and then I have no idea what I'm doing after that, but I know I'll be tired because I've been up two hours already, um, or more than that. So that's enough about trucking. Well, another thing is I may be, right now I'm an in-town trucker, so I'm in what they call a day cab, which is a tractor where you don't really, you don't really sleep in it and there's no bed or anything. It's just basically two seats. and uh. That's what I because mean. I mainly only, you know, I'm mainly home every day. I, I always really, the furthest I go so far is like Rigby, Idaho from Salt Lake. And that's, you know, I can get up there and back and unloaded and the whole deal in like seven hours. And uh, so I don't go all that far, but you make less money doing that. So I may switch with my same company that I work with called DST, really good company out of Springville, Utah. May switch to going over the road with those guys. and uh. Maybe go into California a couple of times a week, increase my pay a little bit, give the family a little more uh, toys to play with. I'll just have to be gone longer and more, and then I'll switch into a sleeper, berth uh, cab, what they call, where you have a bed and refrigerator and stuff, sometimes microwaves and all that. But I guess that's enough about trucking for now, I'll update you on that for the people that are listening to the show don't know if anybody is listening yet an update on the music situation i've been again i've been trying to get my original music on my podcast i finally figured out how to do that by then so i I did i released one podcast it's just samples of my music i don't even talk or anything so you can find out i think that's episode 10 (coughs) excuse me um but then after that they sent me an email Folks over at Anchor Podcast, which is a good good thing to do if you want to start a podcast. Um, but I digress. I uh, they sent me an email saying that I can't have they, I can't make any money off the podcast if I have copyrighted music on my podcast that's not their music, and I own the copyrights to my music, so. They think I'm just some guy downloading other people's music onto my podcast. They don't realize it's my music and I already have the copyright. But I guess the downside to Anchor is I can't figure out who to get in, in contact with. i send them an email. We'll see how it goes. I'm going to figure it out one way or the other. If not, I may just start recording from my studio and playing stuff live on my guitar. So I may do that anyway. Thought about doing a more technical type guitar show here and there. But I mean, you can't really visually see it. And I do have guitar lessons online. You can go to uh, Jeff Lawrence Lessons on YouTube. So, youtube.com slash Jeff Lawrence Lessons. Anyway, more music stuff. Um, thinking about actually, I've already semi retired from music for, for about eight or nine years, maybe ten. I, I made a living just doing music. But that entailed playing a lot of gigs, a lot of gigs I didn't want to play, a lot of weddings uh teaching tons of students and doing some studio work here and there and and then playing with other bands too and uh that kept me busy for 10 years and it kind of just died off i'm you know and then i you know i moved down to saint george utah which is down near um, arizona by the nevada border i still stayed pretty tight in the music scene then and joined the band Yeager Town, which is a really big band down there and then i that didn't work out ended up moving back to georgia where i'm from did some good gigs there opened for larry carlton did some other stuff was teaching there doing pretty well and then I ended up back in salt lake i actually moved to colorado to play music uh, to teach music for a living and that didn't work out so ended up back in salt lake and ended up being a truck driver and that's a long ass story i'll have to do a whole podcast on that one day it was, it was a crazy thing kind of worked out pretty well though actually in the long run um anyway kind of getting tired of music the music scene in salt lake's not great i mean there is a few places there's a lot of places to play but i mean you still make the same money you pretty much always did and it's the same old thing pete the bar owners hiring their friends to play and you know the bands that suck up to the bar owners and stuff and there's all the clicks like the jazz scene is pretty much non-existent there is a very small one but you give me those guys won't even talk to you I call them jazz nerds they won't let me in the circle because I play smooth jazz instead of the standard uh, stuff (laughs) and generally the sax players and trumpet players want to take all the solos they don't really want to have guitar players around anyway there are some good uh, jazz players around here though they're just hitting really a jazz scene at all which is weird because we have the Utah Jazz basketball team, but I'd actually we, got, we actually bought them from New Orleans uh, years and years ago. Um, but anyway, thinking about kind of dying the music off a little bit as far as gigging and stuff, I'm just getting tired of it. I'll play, you know, five, six, seven to ten shows at a place, and all of a sudden I can't get a hold of the people anymore. So obviously we did well. My band did well, or I did well because I kept coming back, and then they'll switch bookers and or they just they don't they won't even reply to your email they won't say no fuck you no you're not what we're looking for maybe next time nothing just not a damn thing and then half the bands i talked to that i you know i want to do gigs with same thing no email back no phone call no text it's just bullshit and like one one bar had me audition which i never do audition for uh a bar down the street from my house just because i can hopefully get a steady gig out of it It so close that's the only reason i agreed to audition because after doing this 30 something years i don't really feel like i need to audition anymore and i played thousands of gigs um they had me do the gig and then turn around and said something's going on with their club and they don't know what's going to happen with it they knew that before i showed up for the audition so they you know didn't make hardly any money that night i think it was 150 bucks for three of us so that was bullshit um music business is a a weird thing i mean if you're if you're really in the scene if you don't have kids and you can go hang out in the bars all the time and you know do all the open mic jams and make your presence known i mean you can kind of get out there i have a few people that still book me uh got you know people that have booked me for years since so I've been here you know on and off for the last 20 years or 19 years I guess on and off through here I've had a few people that's consistently booked me because they've just may you know and I've also kind of become the guy where they you know if somebody cancels at the last minute oh let's call Jeff he'll do it he can pull it off and I'm just sick of the shit and I'm having to use hired guns I don't have a band where I you know I don't we don't ever practice we don't ever get tight so I've been having to Hire different drummers and bass players just to show up. The last gig we did Sundance Film Festival gig last week had a drummer and bass player I never even met before play. You know, we didn't, of course we didn't practice. I sent him the set list. Of course, they didn't. You know, the bass player did really good. He's a good guy. Um, he's a pro. He does a lot, but, you know, he still still messed up a few things. The drummer fucked up a bunch of shit. The gig before that, the drummer fucked up a bunch of shit. I've got one drummer that knows all my stuff, and uh, but he's in like five bands and so he couldn't show up at those gigs, it's just, you know, I end up looking not as pro as I can be, you know, if I had a three piece band that practiced and we got tight, we could, you know, we could smoke a lot of play, uh, people around here. Um, it's just, uh, some people aren't capable of jamming or you'll send them the set list and they don't learn the shit and you'll send them notes, they don't learn it, they don't care to. Which sucks because you're paying them. You know, I tell them I'm going to pay them before they show up. And then, of course, they show up and don't fucking know the shit. I'm getting tired of it. I've got three gigs left on the books. I've got a gig up in Camas, Utah. Way up in the mountains. This is March 21st. Um, up Mirror Lake Highway. I can't think of what they call that place now. I think it's the Mirror Lake Cafe or something like that i'll get more info on that as it comes up and then i got april 4th at the yes hell in ogden that's a really cool place best tacos in town um they got wimpy and fritz doing tacos in the back like a little rest kind of a separate restaurant but it's inside the bar um but yes hell in ogden april 4th that's the day before my birthday so probably gonna have a good crowd that night got my good drummer there that night um then i think i I can't remember the next date i believe it's june 4th i'll have to look but that's in park city outside and then i don't have anything booked after that and i don't even know if i'm going to i may take a year off i don't know what i'm going to do i may do some recording i'm thinking about getting into producing i got two different artists that are interested in me producing them one's a rapper one's like a r&b singer um well that's something i'm interested in so depending on if i can uh, get any kind of return on my investment on that may uh get into that and if i do the trucking over the road thing i ain't gonna have a whole lot of time but i'm gonna spend i'm not gonna get out of music i can't see me doing that but i you know and you never know um i'm gonna try to maybe write a new album go into the smooth jazz thing i really really dig just doing smooth jazz on my originals stuff like that kind of larry carlton material type stuff um also like the old hardcore country, but I don't think uh, there's no sense in... A lot of people trying to do that again now, kind of bring it back, and they don't know what the hell they're doing. They're young people. don't know what the fuck they're even doing. Um, ever since the Johnny Cash movie came out 10 years or so more ago, everybody thinks they can do that shit now. They don't understand how it is. <laughs> Being a southern guy born in 1968 in Greenwood, South Carolina, I know what country is. Believe me um but yeah there's no really places to play it at and most of the country around here most of the guys that get gigs doing that are the newer kind of country which i'm not really interested in it's basically just shitty pop music in my opinion um but it'll make its way back around there's always a country country always has a circle it always comes back around to the to the uh, original form usually at some point it has like a commercial run and a Somebody will come back and knock it back down to where it's supposed to be. That's the way it's always been. We'll see what happens. Um, about it music-wise for right now. a um, Little bit about, uh, not much uh, going on in pro wrestling right now. Uh, locally, Vince Russo is gonna start coming here once a month. Uh, the old writer from WWE and uh, and uh, WCW and TNA to work with Devotion Wrestling. I thought about maybe doing something with those guys. I'm just not really sure if I want to get involved. In something that probably doesn't pay anything, and I don't know. Some of the local wrestlers hard to deal with. We'll see what happens. A um, little bit on uh, you know I do, I've mentioned before. I do event security work, work all the concerts and. And all the basketball games for the Utah Jazz over at Vivint Smart Arena. I've been doing security work since 2001, so 19 years now. So we had, you know, Kobe Bryant passed away a couple of days ago. I really got to see the effects on that because I worked the Utah Jazz game against the Houston Rockets the very next night, and I was assigned to work in the uh, Jazz's, um, the Utah Jazz players' dressing room door which basically stand at a glass door with somebody else. And when we see somebody coming or going, we open the door for them. And especially the jazz players, because they'll be running full force into there to get some tape or I don't know what the hell they're doing in there, but even during the game, they'll come hauling ass through there and uh, and then come back and things like that. But I saw how, you know, you could, you're only two, three inches away from the people there, uh, the players that you could see how visibly upset. A lot of the, a lot of them were about that Kobe Bryant situation, and uh, they did have a moment of silence before the game, and then they, they let the clock run out when they first started it, like they like they do sometimes when that things like that happen. Saw a lot of the local reporters or some of the um, national reporters break down and crying backstage. So a lot of things, yeah. Uh, it's interesting to see it from that perspective. Um, yeah, security work. I got a Miranda Lambert concert Friday. We got the WWE coming in Monday, so I may have some wrestling news on that. Doing event security, you don't really ever know where you're gonna be. Like I could get to the WWE show Monday, and I could be right there at the ring. I could be backstage at the dressing room. I could be, I could be at the front door and never even see any of it. Check, you know, you never really know. Do you get there? Um, same thing with the basketball games. I could be on the corridor. I could be somewhere in a hallway. It's it. Sometimes it's interesting, sometimes it's not. I know I was going to do a whole show on event security. So we'll, we'll kind of start that now. So event security part one is what we'll call this. And this is just some interesting stories about things I've uh, done during this thing. So I, I got started back in 2001. I was just doing some construction work and I ran across a guy. The guy who's my boss's cousin, I guess, or his wife's cousin, was doing it, um, named Ryan. He lives down in Vegas now, but he don't do it anymore. But anyway, he got me into it. And he said, you know, come work with us, it's just a part-time job. Companies called CSC, uh, Contemporary Services Corporation. I don't work there. Well, I do technically still work there too, but I don't really, that's not my, my full-time security job anymore. <clears throat> and anyway, they said, come and work over here. You can get, you know. 10, 5, 10, 20 hours a week here and there. I said, all right, I could, you know, I wasn't, uh, I was single at the time, um, divorced from my second wife, didn't have a whole lot going on, so I'd work construction all day long, do gigs whenever I could, and I wasn't doing a lot of gigging right then, because I just moved to Salt Lake, that was the very first year I moved here, so I didn't really know anything music scene-wise here yet, Um, and anyway, uh, so I went and got the job there, doing security work first job was uh, just working in a parking lot of uh, i forgot what it was called down in sandy utah just for like a car show or something just telling people where to park kind of waving them into the parking lot and back out those kind of things with a guy named jason healy and his wife which i can't remember her name and he actually died last year jason he was younger than me he had stage four cancer of some sort and Passed away last year, I believe, maybe the year before that. I think it was last year, though. Um, so yeah, yeah, that, that happens. Securities people come and go like that. Um, so anyway, yeah. So I worked out. I was kind of boring then. Pretty soon after that, I started working concerts. I worked. I think we worked ACDC dc after that, and I don't remember a ton of ton of crazy stuff going on, but during all that period, but. Ended up working the Olympics. The Olympics came here in 2002, so I was doing security all over for that. I've done so many concerts, I can't think of. You know, it's crazy because you'll be like, you're easily put back then. We'd be put right in front of the stage during a concert, so we'd have our back to the stage. So like people like Prince and Neil Diamond and Metallica and people like that would be like three inches from the back of my head. But I, you know, I normally wouldn't even see them because I'm staring at the crowd to make sure. They're not trying to come onto the stage, which they did a lot back then, back in the early 2000s. That was when crowd surfing was big and a lot of that was going on. Um, so yeah, I mean, I've had to draw, uh, get people off the stage several times. A um, Couple of things that stand out that I uh, like wrestling-wise, we worked the WWE wrestling once when, uh, it was, I think it was still WWF at the time, when Stone Cold and The Rock and people like that were still on there. So they put me, I'm, I'm, I stand about 5'11", I'm about 205 pounds, probably same then as I am now. And then uh, they wanted people about my size to be at the ring, on the, at the, on the ring post. So there's four ring posts on the ring because like, they didn't want any big giant guys. We had some big guys working security. They didn't want those guys there because they didn't want anybody on TV that looked bigger than the wrestlers to be on TV. So they got a couple of guys my size and smaller, put us on the uh, each ring post. And they said, you know, nobody gets in the ring. It's a televised event. If anybody even comes and tries to get in the ring, take them out, I don't care how you do it. And that was their exact words. So it all went pretty well. It's kind of strange. You're sitting there right beside the ring and there's a wrestling match going on you behind your head and you don't, you know, you don't know if those guys are coming over the rope on top of your head or what the hell's going on. But it went pretty smooth. And, Um, so the, uh, thing at the end, Stone Cold Steve Austin's match, I don't know who he was wrestling, he won the match, I don't know who it was, but anyway, he does this thing at the end where he just goes to all the, you know, the corner posts and drinks beer and smashes beer cans on his head and shit. If you know anything about Stone Cold Steve Austin, you've seen him do it, he does it every, every match, pretty much. So anyway, he's doing this at the end, and then here comes this guy over the, over the, uh, rail, jumps into the ring, another guy that is with me grabs him while he's still kind of on his stomach, kind of jumps onto the bottom rope, so the guy's on his stomach. So the other security guard jumps in there and he's on his stomach and he's like on top of the dude. And uh, so, so far you can't really see him on TV because the cameras are panning a little, but above their heads are kind of basically both on their stomachs. So I grabbed the other I grabbed our guy by the leg and just yank him out of the ring. He's got the other guy, so both of these guys go face down onto the concrete, and then we pretty much—I uh, don't know. Yeah, we, we kind of had to rough up that guy a bit, and I, I think he got took to the cops and all that. And so that, that was interesting. And then, uh, so after the show, they sent me out to the back back of the parking lot where the wrestlers leave in their cars and their rental cars and limos or whatever they're in. So I'm guarding the fence so nobody comes in and fucks with him. So I'm standing there at the fence and this guy comes up and starts bitching at me about his brother. And I guess his brother was the guy that we threw out of the ring. So this guy is trying to, wanting to kill me, spit in my face. Wanting to kill, you know, saying I'm going to beat your ass and all that, but he couldn't get in the fence. And uh, I wasn't scared, but I can't just get in a fight at work, <laughs> even, uh, even unless he... uh comes into the fence then i could have but i can't go on the other side of the fence even though he, you know, though he spit on me so anyway there's this bar this this arena is known for our like local hockey team they're not they're not nhl but i don't know what you call it but like the farm league hockey team the grizzlies they got this little bar there and it's i think it was called the puck where they like i guess you go there before and after the hockey games and so i told the guy i said you want to you know we were all going to the puck afterwards and have a beer So I said you know you just meet me over there you want to do some shit I'll be at the puck in about an hour and a half so we're over there at the puck and then here here he comes but the bad thing about it is he's by himself and I'm with like 20 gigantic security guard guys <laughs> and even a couple of the wrestlers were in there <coughs> so he didn't uh, he didn't want none so he ended up just I'm just leaving uh better off i didn't need need to go to jail anyway so that was one interesting wwe wrestling story doing security um the next time i did security for them a few years later um same building and i i was assigned with what would become well i guess she was my third wife at the time I've been married four times. We'll talk about that some other time. <laughs> but anyway, I'm married to my third wife. She also works at the security company. That's where I met her at in the first place. And we have a 16-year-old son together. But anyway, at the time, we didn't. At the time, we had just barely gotten married. And we're assigned to walk the halls in the back from and just walk, make sure nobody goes into the wrestlers' dressing rooms. So we like see John Cena and... People like Big Show walking around back there and Randy Orton comes up and he's uh he's kinda new at the time. He looked different, didn't have as many tattoos, had full head of hair, and he's like hardcore hitting on my wife, like trying to get her to meet him after the show and <coughs> go to a hotel with him and he had just gotten in trouble in Denver. Like the day after this. They went to Denver and he got in trouble for like trying to pick up a girl there and the girl wasn't going for it she like filed charges on him sexual harassment and all this shit I don't ever know what happened to that but come to find out my wife probably would have went she always talked about it later after we divorced that she regretted not being able to go to the motel with Randy Orton I don't know what that says about her but maybe she should have went that night and saved me some problems anyway that night also then there's a wrestler called Rikishi. Big uh, Hawaiian guy or Tongan or Samoan. Probably Samoan. Um, Samoan, they say out oh, here. He's uh, at the end of the show. The show's over. He's He can, he wears this like kind of tribal, I don't want to call it a dress, like a kilt kind of thing. I don't know what you call it, but big padded black kind of kilt because he, he had like a, basically a thong on under it and he would shove his ass in people's faces in the in his match called the stink face, pretty stupid if you think about it, but went over pretty well, the crowd liked it but anyway, he's running through the place looking for that thing that he wears, um, that dress looking thing and we he can't find it anywhere so he comes up to me and my wife and he's bitching us out, because we're the ones responsible for people going in and out of his dressing room and all the other dressing rooms some of the dressing rooms are not just one person there's like 20 people in there, so 20 wrestlers at the same time type deal. And we were like, I, I can, we can guarantee you nobody went in this fucking dressing room. I don't know, he's just raising hell at us. Big fucking Samoan guy who wanted to kill me. And come to find out, we had like, there was this kind of gimmick match um, that night, which was the the jazz bear from the Utah Jazz team. He's like a mascot, dresses up like a bear. He's a real popular guy. And then some other mascot, I guess it was the grizzly mascot from the hockey team. They did some kind of stupid little fake wrestling match thing but it wasn't the normal guy that dresses up like the jazz bear it was a different guy in his suit and they were going in and out of the dressing room which what they were supposed to do so we didn't think nothing of it turns out that guy ended, was the one that stole Rikishi's, uh dress kind of thing he wears so that was fucked up so we, well at least we got to the bottom of it he apologized for yelling at us and all that Couple other things that happened that year, let's see, her close to around that time. We did Dave Matthews band. He was real popular at the time. So I'm working his dressing room. And at the end of the night he comes out and he says he comes out with this big giant wooden trunk of shit. It was like a thin wooden trunk like you'd see like in front of somebody's bed in their bedroom. And, it, and it's like full of organic food, like organic apple chips and that kind of shit. And he's like, "This is the last day of our tour, and I'm flying back to Virginia, where he lived, and I'm not, so I'm not getting on the bus. I can't take this big ass trunk of food on the plane. Do you want it?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I mean, I'm not that. I wasn't that much of a health food guy then. Probably more so now. But <clears throat> so, you, so I took a big trunk of Dave Matthews <laughs> Band's food home with me, and I was." telling people all week i'm eating dave matthew's food and they they just what the fuck are you talking about i would sometimes i would tell them the stories as as i wouldn't i don't think they believed me anyway a lot of times they do they never believe these stories from the security because you can't take pictures and shit that's the biggest thing that you do if you take a picture you can pretty much get fired so i don't have pictures of nothing but i've got like all the ticket stubs and, I, and guitar picks and uh, press sheets and the sheets they give us telling us what's going to go on. I got all kinds of different memorabilia from the thing. I got the things that come off their dressing rooms. It said, like Mr. McMahon's office when it was a WWE and Dave Matthews band dressing room, whatever. So did, that was an interesting one. Um, did the Blink 182 show that year. I can't remember what band opened for them. It may have been some 41 or something. I know I've done their show, too. Um, that was kind of a weird, because I had to, at the end of the of it, the Blink-182, it, like, went into this room, and they had, like, a private party after the concert, but it was still in the venue. We had already done the show. During the show, there's crowd surfers. It's like, you have to catch the crowd surfer, in the barricade where we're at right in front of the stage put them back on the floor and make sure they don't get on the stage and walk them back into the crowd and just let them do it again so you're basically almost like pro wrestling you're catching like 150 to 200 pound guys and girls coming over without their tops and just crazy shit um all night long and then they afterwards they sent me to to guard the door of this private party they're having and they're just getting shit face drunk and uh yeah just getting drunk as shit and then uh the drummer comes out with these two girls and she's telling me to throw them out like physically throw these girls out i'm like what what for because they won't leave me alone they're bugging me and i'm like i'm not gonna like pick them up and physically remove them for because you don't like them i mean you gave them they got passes to be back here Oh they got a pass i can they're back there and so this guy's getting all in my face. He's a, I could have just floored the dude, <laughs> the drummer for Blink-182. And, uh, that was—and you know, I, I always had to bite my tongue because half the time, you know, I could run circles on these guitar players if they knew I played guitar, but they just think I'm some dumbass security guard. That's the hard part about it sometimes. Did that, and then I'll see... There's a later on that year, there was a Metallica show. I mean, there's millions of concerts we've done. I don't say millions, but probably definitely hundreds each year, probably into the thousands now. But sometimes it never, nothing really happens. I mean, I I was working, Matchbox 20 was big at the time we did their show and like all these girls wanting to meet Rob Thomas. And I'm I'm working this time. I'm on the side of the stage checking backstage passes for people to come back. And there, there's there's literally girl after girl, even two girls coming up offering me sex to get back to see Rob Thomas. And I'm gonna have like, like, first of all, I'm like, well, where, 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 if I, if even if I was gonna do this, I wasn't going to, which I wasn't married or anything, but that wasn't the point. I, I just I'm gonna do that, you know. I'm like, where are we gonna do it at? Right here in front of 18,000 people. I mean, that is, that's what kind of stupid shit it ends up being. But that guy definitely had some fans. I don't think he has so many now. Probably comes to the small bar in town. Never were a very good band, anyway. Another show that sticks out that year is a uh, Harry Connick Jr. was coming and doing his jazz show, and like he had, he was on a. Uh, TV show Will and Grace I believe yeah I think it was Will and Grace he was on so he was big time popular back then best looking groupies I've ever seen was at like his show they were all like women in business suits and good looking so anyway we get, he's in there doing his show and he does this he does this thing where he um, takes off his shoes and dances around so while he's doing this crazy little dance this jazz tune he takes off his shoe, and like somebody takes one of his shoes off the stage. I mean, my job that night was to be what they call a roamer. I was roaming around the whole arena, just making sure everything is running good. So, but he can't get the guy, whoever took his shoe, we can't find it. Nobody's admitting to taking it. I don't know if somebody stuck it in their pocketbook. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, he, uh, so he's 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 pissed off. He wants somebody to give him his shoe back. They never do. So he's like playing the whole show in one shoe and then also he kept seeing a little light there's like this little square window way above the stage like 20 20 feet up from his piano and he kept seeing like a little light up there and it was bugging the shit out of him so he just gets up goes backstage walks up these stairs and goes into this little room where he sees this light and there's like four guys playing poker in there so he like sits down with his microphone starts playing poker with these guys in the middle of his concert in this little window it was kind of crazy and we'll do one more before before we go so the last one I was thinking about is did an outdoor Metallica show and for some reason like towards the end it, it all went pretty well besides the normal drunk people you have to throw out and people fighting with their girlfriends and shit you have to throw out of the place nothing unusual there but at the end of it people just picked up these metal chairs they're sitting in and they just start throwing them throwing them but us throwing them all over the place just crazy they're not even pissed off they're just like nuts because they're just i don't know this is like metallica's black album tour maybe maybe you remember um and then he, they're just like piles and piles of chairs everywhere after that i mean it was kind of scary those chairs hurt and this uh kind of got out of hand and uh same year snoop we'll do, we'll do one more snoop dog came to the baseball field where i actually do security now for the baseball team uh at the time i, I can't remember what the baseball team was called then i think it's called the buzz or something now they're called the bees anyway for some reason snoop dog was going to come and do a show with some other rappers at outdoor show in the middle of august outside in the baseball field so we're hired to do this show and it, the show's not to like eight at night, maybe maybe six at night, something like that, somewhere in there. But we're there at ten a.m. They're letting people in just radio station promos and different things, so people are coming in. All these young girls, you know, under eighteen and not you know definitely under twenty-five, pouring in there. And in Salt Lake City in August, I mean, it's close to a hundred degrees. If it's not a hundred degrees, and they're coming in with no water or anything, just trying to get I guess it uh, is a general admission. So if they could get all the way to the stage, and that's where they're that's where they could be the whole night. There wasn't no was tickets, just general admission seating. And so by the end of the night, you're talking six, you know, six hours later or more, eight hours later. There's I don't know how many thousand people in there, just jam packed, and they, these people are getting smashed against the stage they haven't drank a drop of water in hours just dehydrated big time so all of a sudden we're saving lives we're pulling young girls out that are just passed out cold from dehydration and getting smashed against the stage pulling them out by the tens 20 30 of them just taking them to the emts and into the ambulances back and forth it was just nuts um I can't, if you ever do, go to an outdoor concert, bring some damn water, especially if you're in that situation where you're trying to get to the front row and you're going to be there for eight hours. I mean, you're going to have to go take a piss and drink some water at some point. But anyway, we'll call that event security episode one. Hopefully I don't repeat some of these stories. I got tons of them. But anyway, that's about it for today. Hope nobody else famous dies or anybody else dies for that matter. And I've uh, been a lot of pot with my last few podcasts. If i had to talk about somebody dying, <laughs> whether it was the rock's dad or Pampiro Furpo or Neil Peart, now Kobe Bryant. Anyway, I'm sitting here doing this podcast while they're unloading my truck I'm full of Hershey bars. I think they about got it unloaded. This has been Southern Man in a Western Town, coming at you from Salt Lake City, Utah. Hope all you guys have a great day. Lovely gentlemen and ladies. Talk to you at another time. Welcome to the world of Black Dubai. featuring the doom sounds of day-glow morning, Brave Lover, cult of sorrow, Tommy Stewart's dire wolf, wither without you, bloody jars, negative wall, and the artists of doom and comic Con, doomstress, stone man, and registering more. Facebook, Twitter, Bandcamp and Big Cartel, and BlackDuba Black Dupa Records. Expect the Dark Rhino Skin by Jeff Lawrence and Warhorse. Thank you.